the gospel according to Luke. I hope that didn't come off mean because it wasn't intended to be mean. But you wouldn't believe some of the people that come after me. You just wouldn't. And I, sorry. And, and, and it was Sam who told me, just tell him, you have no time for that. Just don't, don't, don't start with it. Don't do it. Don't, you don't need to do it. I said, good, I'll send him to you. So send him to Sam Lamerson. Luke 2, 8 to 20. Just a, I know we missed a week, and, and, and I know there's a lot been going on in your life. Just a very, very, very brief overview. 400 years of silence, theoretical silence. Obviously, God is at work, but we have no revelation. The end of the old, the beginning of the new. 400 years, the intertestamental period, we, we have that time. Maybe 500 years, no, no, no miracles in 500 years. Certainly no angelic visits. No conception miracles. Nothing really going. 400 years. And then all of a sudden, boom, God breaks into humanity again. And that's where we are. That's, that's how we opened. And we opened with Gabriel, the angel, makes two incredible visits. He visits Zechariah in the temple. He's in the temple for his two weeks of service each year. He's a local priest where he lives, but he goes to the temple two weeks. He serves the Lord. Had the privilege of serving at the altar of incense, and Gabriel shows up. Gabriel tells him he's going to have a child. He's too old. His wife's too old. They're not going to have children. He doesn't believe. Boom. He's struck mute. Can't speak. Can't hear. Sure enough, he goes home to his wife. They get together. And nine months later, they they have a baby. Uh, Supernatural work of God, but, but husband and wife together. Six months later, Gabriel comes back to town. This time, way, way across town to Mary says, you're going to have a baby. How is it possible? I'm a virgin. I, I, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's amazing. And he says, basically, I, I want you to confirm this. That God is doing conception miracles again. Go see your cousin. She's six months pregnant. Mary hastens off to Elizabeth. Spends some time there. And then Mary comes up with what? Our first Christmas carol. You know the first four Christmas carols come from Luke? The four Christmas canticles, they're all out of Luke, all scripture. What's the first one? Mary's song, the Magnificat. Comes from the Latin, the first word or two or three in the first line. Mary opens with her Magnificat with these words, My soul doth magnify. Magnificat, magnify the Lord. Beautiful song, beautiful song. And then we have the birth of John the Baptist. And Zachariah holding the little baby. And John gives us the second Christmas canticle. The Benedictus. Blessed be God. Another beautiful song that we have. And, and it, the baby, John. And then we go to chapter 2 and Jesus is born. Now, we can't do justice to the passage today. There's so much in this. There's just so much. But we'll do the best we can to unpack a few things of great importance to us today about what we're going to read. We're going to hear the angelic announcement. So the title of the message, the angelic announcement, the shepherds, the savior, and the song. Let's read the passage together. And I want to show you something that impacted me when I was a little boy. And, um, and, and I want to show it to you on the screen. Let's take a look now. Two, <clears throat> starting in eight, all the way to 20. Hear now the word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God add his rich blessing through his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning. Everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. For those here in this sanctuary or by way of the internet who are not in a saving relationship, make it a word of salvation. Raise them from death to life, giving the gift of repentance and faith. For those in the midst of storm winds, and we know there are many, make it a word of comfort and peace. And for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Father, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. The shepherds. Number one, that's under the angelic announcement. The shepherds will be our first point. Number two, the Savior. And finally, number three, the song. If I asked you this question, how would you answer it? What's the greatest event in the history of the world? Depends on who you ask, right? Depends on who you ask. Ask a scientist. Ask a musician. Ask... A laborer, ask whoever, what's the greatest event? The world has already told us what the greatest event is in the history of the world. Because time itself is divided as either before or after. That's it. B.C., A.D. And A.D. is not after death. We'd miss 33 plus years there. We're not sure how many years. A.D. is the year of the Lord, the year of the birth. So we have B.C., we have A.D. Now, I understand the letters have changed to be more politically correct. Not to exclude those who don't believe in Christianity, if you will, but the world has made it clear the most important event in its history is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. B.C., everything that came before, A.D., everything that has come after. The new letters, C.E., the common error, B.C.E., before the common error, but make no mistake, the world has made it clear. This is it. This is the highest point of God's redemptive history. And everything is about God's redemptive history. From even before the foundation of the world, Jesus was on the way. So all of this is about this high point that has now taken place. Glory to God in the highest. The promised Savior has come. This is powerful. But when I was a little boy, you know you get impacted by certain things you watch on TV. And I'll never forget every year. Remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Back in my day, I'm, I'm, I'm old. Back in my day, Mama had to get the TV guide, rifle through the TV guide to find out when it was on. My kids today don't understand that. They plug it into the DVD. 
and we watched the Charlie Brown Christmas. But no, no, we couldn't do that. And if you miss the time, you miss the story. You have to wait a year. So every year, Mama get it. We sit down in front of the TV. Back in the day, you had to get up and turn on the TV and change the channels. And my kids don't understand that either. What do you mean, get up? Get up. I never forgot the scene. What scene? This scene. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. When you go home on your electronic device, if you pull up the King James Version, that's exactly what you're going to read word for word. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I memorized it, and I didn't realize the impact back then. I do now as an adult. That's scripture. Charles Schultz had to fight with executives in order to keep that into the Charlie Brown. They said, we will not play that. And he said, then you will not have this Christmas special, and I'll get it out somehow. And they fought tooth and nail. And finally, that's exactly what we saw in 1965 and every year after. And we watch it a hundred times every Christmas on the DVD. And we just, there it is. You couldn't get that to go today. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were. That's what we'll take a look at now. Okay? Let's start with those shepherds keeping watch. And there were. Sometimes we come to scripture and we take a look at what it does not say. Because what it does not say teaches us great truth. So I want to show you what it does not say. It does not say, and there were scribes and Pharisees keeping watch over their temple scrolls. Stay with the passage and look at it closely. It also does not say, and there were kings and princes keeping watch over their tax rolls. It doesn't say that. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds. This is the birth of the Son of God. This is the birth of of the promised Messiah. No announcement at the temple? 
And there were scribes and Pharisees, no announcement in the palace, and there were princes and kings. No, no one knew. Only a handful knew. And the angels came and spoke specifically to the shepherds for a reason. We'll unpack just a little bit of it. One point I want to make, if you, if you, you can Google this and you can listen to many, many sermons on this from, from great preachers, many far better than I. Many have a tendency to lock into the fact that shepherds were, were despised people at this point. And, and it, it, that doesn't seem to be accurate. I, we, we spent a lot of time uh, speaking Sam and I to really work through this. And um, we, I, I think this comes a little later where they're despised. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The, the, the profession is not despised, but they became despised as kind of unclean, ceremonially unclean. They couldn't really observe the law. And, but I think that that comes a little bit later after the temple is destroyed and the sacrificial lamb is no longer needed. Right now, it's a needed profession. They needed lambs. They needed sacrifices. But there's something that's much even, even deeper here, and I'll show it to you right now. But we'll, we'll walk through it. Shepherding changed from a family business. It was a family business at the beginning. Ready? 1 Samuel 16, 11. You'll remember who this is about, right? This is about the, the new king that is going to be raised up. David, the prophet Samuel, said, Are these all your sons? Saul was done. God said, Find me a new king. Sent him to Jesse. There is still the youngest, Jesse said. He is what? He's tending the sheep. It's family business. He was a shepherd. Samuel said, Send for him. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses kept watch over the flocks in Midian. Right? So shepherding is a good profession. Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. But that seemed to change later. In in the Mishnah, you you have these oral traditions in, 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 in Jewish history. You have oral traditions and you have this oral Torah. That, that has been established over the, the centuries. And the Mishnah is the written compilation of these oral traditions, which really, it seems to suggest that from the New Testament times, and what are the New Testament times? The first New Testament writing is somewhere in, in 50. So that's 50. The temple's destroyed in 70. So really the New Testament era, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, from that point forward, the writings in the Mishnah and other rabbinical writings tell us clearly that shepherds were despised. But it doesn't seem to suggest they were right now. So what is the point of the message that God is coming to the shepherds? He's coming to those who are down and out, not up and in. He's coming to those who are lowly and those who are humble. Mary in her Magnificat says, praise be to God that he has come to the lowly. He has come to the humble. That's the message in understanding the shepherd. But there's one more message for us to take. Perhaps... Perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps these shepherds were the ones keeping watch over the flock that was reserved for sacrifice in the temple. When the angels come and say to them, behold, for unto you this day in the city of David is born to you a Savior, the true Lamb of God. I think that's the deepest message of the shepherds keeping watch over their flock. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that God chose the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise, those who were of no effect. Why is that good news? That's most of us. Most of us are not the up and ins. We're the down and outs. 
We're the cast-offs. We're the common folk. And that's the message of the gospel. Who did Jesus spend most of his time with? The religious leaders and, and the princes and the kings? Of course not. Sinners. Sinners like you and like me. That's the deep message here. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 puts it all together for us. Take a look. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been... There it is. I think that these shepherds are watching over the sheep that are being sacrificed. The millions of sheep that have been sacrificed year after year after year after year. And every single sacrificial sheep pointed to the ultimate sheep that would come. The Lamb of God who would finally take away the sins of the world. Moving on. Take a look. 2.9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed round about them. And they were... Oh, I love sore afraid. So I'll just say it. They were sore afraid. Just a brief point on this. And I want to be careful. I, 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 I don't want to disparage anybody who talks about their encounter with God and coming in and out of heaven and all those things. I, I, what do I know? All I know is in the scripture, anybody that encountered God, they were struck like dead men. That's all I do know. So uh, they were terrified. Why were they terrified? God visits for two reasons. God visits for two reasons. He visits for judgment. Right? We see that throughout the Old Testament. And he visits for grace. They're terrified. Why? They're not sure why he's visiting. Why would they be terrified? They know they're sinners. They know they don't belong in the presence of the glory of God. That's why they're terrified. So you say, Pastor, is, is, is that really true? Well, let's, let's just build on it. John, John only has a vision. John has a vision on the Isle of Patmos. What does he say? When I saw him, Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's John. John walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus. He sees a vision and he fell as a dead man. Why? Oh, beloved. There's a gulf between the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God that cannot be bridged by man. We cannot work our way into God's favor. More on that in a moment. Isaiah, on the occasion of his call, the prophet Isaiah, the one who writes so much about the Lord Jesus, his suffering and his dying, the prophet Isaiah, on the occasion of his call in chapter 6, what does he say? I, I, I looked into the court of heaven and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and, and the train of his robe, just the train of his robe filled the room. And what does he say? He casts an oracle of woe upon himself. There's two oracles in scripture, weal and woe, blessing and cursing. He says, woe is me, I am undone. In the Hebrew, the word undone means you're coming unraveled at the seams. He says, woe is me, I am undone. Why? For the very first time, Isaiah saw the distance between the sinfulness of his own heart and the perfection and glory of God. And he couldn't stand it. I am undone. And to just put it all in a capsule for you, which should make it clear that these are the kinds of encounters if you really encounter the living God. Peter's a fisherman. He's a Jewish businessman. He's out in the boat with Jesus and they catch the largest amount of fish they've ever caught in his entire life. Seems like every fish inside the lake swims into the nets. What does Peter do? Peter falls at the feet of Jesus, casts an oracle of woe upon himself. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. 
I am a man of unclean lips. That doesn't make sense, does it? Why? He's a fisherman. He's a Jewish businessman. If I were Peter, I would have pulled a contract out of the back of my pocket and I would have said to Jesus, sign this and we'll split the profits. We'll meet once a month, first Saturday of the month. We'll do this fishing exposition together and we'll split the profits 50-50. What say you? He's a, busy, he's a Jewish businessman. Why wouldn't he? Why? Because he was standing in the presence of God. And that was the veiled presence of God. The unveiled presence of God in Jesus we see in the transfiguration and he can't even look. Moses gets to see the backside of God and can't even look. We, we, we don't, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what, what's waiting for us. The unveiled presence of God is, is waiting for us. He, he couldn't even look at Jesus anymore because we're sinners in need of a savior. Moving on to the shepherds. When the angels left them, the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing the Lord has told us about. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they saw him, they spread. Listen to this. When they saw him, they spread the word about this child. And he, all who heard were amazed at what they said. These shepherds are just simply lowly, common folk. Shepherding could be done if you know by children. David was a child. He was tending the sheep. He was the youngest of the, the sons. So this was a very simple task to perform. It was a needed task, but it was a simple one. So probably uneducated, unschooled in the law, but something about them that they knew something about the law. Why? When the angels came, they were terrified. They knew why to be terrified, and they understood the message. So it seems like they were probably devout. They, they understood the word of God. And then they do these three things happen to them that should be instructive for all of us today. Number one, what happened? They received the message. Take a look. They, they received it. They listened and they received. Then they did something immediately. They responded to it. You know how many people sit under the preaching of the word of God and receive it and never respond? That's just the truth. They never respond. Feed and feed and feed and feed. You got to respond. You respond. My job is to tell you what the word says, tell you what the word means, tell you what the word requires. What does it require of you? The word requires something of all of us to respond to the word. You walk out of here and say, oh, it was a great sermon. Who cares? If it doesn't change you, if it doesn't cause you to respond, if you don't see a greater, and if you see a greater picture, my only goal is that you would see Jesus and him only. And if you see a greater picture of Jesus, you have to respond. It forces you to respond. And then what do they do after they respond? They report it. Go, therefore, into all nations and preach the gospel. We should be like those shepherds. We've received the message. Theoretically, we have responded to the message. By grace, through faith, we have responded to the message. He's ours. Now we report it. We tell him. Go, therefore, and tell him about Jesus. What a beautiful picture. Okay, that's the shepherds. That's, that's the, the best we can get out of this. They're humble. They're lowly. They're, they're, they're work, they were working at the time. They weren't sitting idle. They were working. They were serving. They were in the middle of keeping watch over the flock, perhaps the flocks that were dedicated for sacrifice. And now they get the announcements of, of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. Let's take a look at him under our second heading. Number two, this is the Savior. Oh, we could spend forever on this. But I'll, I'll be brief. Luke 2, 10 to 12. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. You understand why the angel said, do not be afraid? 
I didn't come in judgment of God. So fear not. If I had, it, your fear wouldn't do you any good anyway. It's too late. But I've come for what? To give you good news of great joy for all people. When you leave this morning, look at the sign that's out there that we have. The, the, our, our banner for the sermon series. Those are the words. Why? We're hoping to attract some people in the community who will say good news of great joy for all people. This word is for all people. Not just a small group of people. This is what, this is what was going to dismantle the nationalistic fervor of the Israelite. Because many of them forgot what God made as a promise to Abraham in the Old Testament. What was the promise to Abraham? You'd be a father of Israel? Of course not. You'd be a father of many nations. From every tongue, tribe, and nation. Here it is. This is good news of great joy to all people. That's the point. Today in the town of David, town of David, why is that important? That's important, right? Right? 700 years earlier, send it 100 years earlier, Micah makes a prophecy. Bethlehem Ephrata. Out of you will come what? The Ancient of Days, the promised Messiah. This was David's town. This is where David, this is David's town. David had really two locations, right? You have Mount Moriah and you have Jerusalem. You have both spots for David. This is David's town. He comes out of the line of David. He's got to get to Bethlehem. The census is decreed, but God is actually overruling everything. And Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem, and here comes Jesus. So in the town of David, a say, oh, Savior, Savior, well, has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Just pause on the sign real quick. Let me tell you what the sign is not. The sign is not the baby wrapped in cloths. Why? All babies were wrapped in cloths. They're all wrapped. So what's the sign? The manger. What was the manger? It was, it was limestone. It was carved out. It was a feeding trough. No babies were laid in feeding troughs. But that feeding trough had a deeper message as well. It was limestone. It was rock. So Mary lays the living Jesus in the limestone, almost mummified looking, if you will, wrapped in the stone. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus lay the dead Jesus in a cave carved out of stone, his tomb. One foreshadowed the other. Two, hundred, two, two years later, we see the wise men that come and bring him what? Gold, incense, and myrrh. Myrrh used for wrapping the body. To slow the stench of the decaying flesh. So this is, what's the point? Only one baby in the history of the world, only one, was born to die. This one. And to die for you. This one. Notice, notice it says that unto you a Savior. Remember sometimes we see in Scripture what it does not say. Today in the town of David it does not say to you, a good teacher has been born. It doesn't say that. Notice it doesn't say today in the town of David, a great example has been born. Notice also it does not say in the town of David, a gracious prophet. The world will give you that. And, and was he a good teacher? Sure. Was he a great example? Sure. Was he a gracious prophet? To be sure he was. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of who he really is. He's the savior of the world. He's God. In flesh, who's come to save his people from his sins. I mean, that's, that's, so this is the almighty birth announcement. All parents, you've all had birth announcements. Think about the announcements that you have sent out. Wouldn't it have been neat to send out a, a whole, a whole legion of angels to announce the birth of your beloved children? And here it is, the angels announcing where? Not in the temple, not in the palace, but out in the fields to shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. 
Oh, my word. Only God could, could, could write such a story. Only God. Matthew one twenty one. Here's the key. And I, I could go on this forever and I won't. And I, but I, Mary will give birth to a son. This is the angel. Mary, this is the angel speaking to Joseph. Joseph is, is going to put her out. Maybe stone her. Angel says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Why will you call him Jesus? Listen. Because, you will, because he will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> Let me make something perfect. Listen to me very carefully. And, and, and I, I, I have no intention of disparaging any, any, any pulpit anywhere. But you, you, you go online and you, you Google and you listen, and you listen to sermons. In, in, in the sense that I get is the condition of unbelief is not that serious. Why? Why? Because the messages that come out of these theologically barren pulpits are messages like this. God is, is, is going to give you your best life now. God is going to meet you in your place of unfulfillment. Perhaps you have a difficult marriage. God's going to come and fix that for your prodigal children. And God's going to come and show up and help get them on track. And perhaps you haven't found the profession that you really want. God is going to come and, and, and get that right for you. And perhaps that, 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 that raise you are looking for, God's going to come and do that. And Let me make a few things clear. Let me make a few things clear. This, this term of unfulfillment and, and, and low self-esteem, let me make it clear that the majority of people in the world are, are, are not unfulfilled. Do you know why? They have nothing to fill them up. Their greatest goal in the morning is in the gift that they get is life itself. To scratch out an existence to the end of the day. That's the way most people live. But we live in a cultural context in this country here where we have everything. And we live unfulfilled, meaningless, purposeless lives. So preachers preach the message that God's going to give you meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Come to Jesus. Let me make this perfectly clear. That happens sometimes. But the universal condition is not unfulfillment. The universal condition is sin. And Jesus came as a savior to save you from your sins, not from your unfulfillment. Not from your lack of meaning and purpose. Let's make that perfectly clear, beloved. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from the... What do you... I'll never forget when Dr. Kennedy first said this. And he said it in a seminary class. I was in a class with Dr. Sproul and Dr. Kennedy showed up and we we're talking about some things and, and this came up. Do you, do you know what God is really saving you from? And of course, you never answered a question that was asked like that because you knew you were going to answer it wrong. So you just were quiet. Nod your head. God is saving you from himself. What? God is saving you from himself. God came in flesh to save you from himself. What, what do you mean? From his wrath. From his judgment. Because you're a sinner. And you're on the road to what? Hell. Who's preaching that? I, I hope your life is fulfilled. And I hope there's meaning. In, and, and you won't find it apart from Jesus, to be sure. But let's make this perfectly clear. Let's just show it in a, in a physical diagram. God is saving you from something first. And that something that God is saving you from is from the penalty of your sin. You're saved from the fires of hell. You're saved from the judgment and the wrath of God. And that's going out now worldwide over the net. That's the truth. That's what Jesus has come to save you from. Now God can save you too. Thousands of other things can save you to meaning and purpose and significance and a better marriage and less prodigal children. Great! But if you don't have the first, what does the second mean to you? It doesn't matter. 
So let's make it perfectly clear that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Then when that is done, remember the line again, Dr. Ken, God saved you, then is he saving you now? You must be saved from your sin before you're saved from yourself. Your unfulfillment will never, ever, ever begin to be part of a process of healing until you've been healed from your sin. There's no meaning. There's no purpose until we've dealt with the universal condition of man. We are sinners in need of a Savior and on the road to eternal destruction. Apart from the grace and the mercy of God. That's the truth. And I didn't say it. The book did John 1.29, let's make this perfectly clear. John 1.29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the gospel. Finally, the song and we're done. 2.13 and 14, suddenly... A great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God. Glory to God in the highest. Glory in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's our Sunday school that Brian and Lisa are teaching. It's the first question, the first most important aspect of what we need to understand after we have been saved. What is the chief end of man? And this can only happen after salvation, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. After Jesus saves you from your sins, now your life begins to change. And yes, you become a new creature in Christ. And yes, it impacts every aspect of your life. But if that's the message that comes from these pulpits, have your best life now, shame! Because God is not only angry at sin. He's angry with sinners. And until we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb and clothed in His righteous robes, we should fear a visitation from God. That's the gospel. That's the truth. Romans eleven thirty six. From him and through him and for him all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Just want to show you the word Irene so that you can see how this all comes together. This is the Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know one. So do you. Irene. Watch this. Watch this definition. The train, don't miss this. After Jesus shows up and saves you from your sins, this is your condition. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God. You fear nothing from God. Why? You are in a state of salvation. You are close. God no longer sees you. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God looks down from heaven. He doesn't see you in your sin any longer. He sees you perfected already in Jesus. You have been clothed in his robes of righteousness. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. The tranquil state of a soul that is assured. And you're assured that you can't mess it up. You can't sin your way out of your salvation. Satan can't pluck you from his hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the state of a soul that is assured that Jesus has saved them from their sins. Fearing nothing from God and content. Oh, don't miss this. Content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. I have to confess I was not content with my earthly lot this week. I had no power. And I was not happy. And then many of you would text me and say, oh, my power's on. And I wouldn't pray for you at that point. I was upset. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I wasn't content. I'm sweating. Tanks laid in my bed. We're sweating. David runs over with a, with a generator. Puts a generator. All the generator did was blow hot air, but it was better than nothing. So we laid with a generator. And he's sweating and I'm sweating. I wasn't content. Shame on me. And we understand who we are, who he is, what he's done. It changes everything. Close. Luke 2.20. The shepherds. Here's these shepherds. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So what question do we ask when we read that? What things? What are these things that they had seen and they had heard? What are these things? Well, they saw two things. And this is the most important. Remember, you have to deal with this issue first before you can deal with meaning and significance and purpose and all of none of that. You have to deal with sin. Listen, everyone is not unfulfilled. Everybody is not lacking meaning and purpose. Everybody is not dissatisfied. They're not. But everyone is a sinner in need of a savior. Everyone. It's the universal condition. Our sins must be forgiven. And the only way they will be forgiven is in Christ. You cannot work your way into forgiveness. The Pharisees learned that the hard way. So we come to Christ and we surrender control to Christ and God gives the gift of repentance and faith and raises us from death to life. Then all of those good things can come and we praise his mighty name for him. But we don't look for those things before the sins have been dealt with. So what things? Two. The good shepherd, John 10, 1, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. So he's not only the good shepherd, but he's also what? The lamb. John 1, 29. John saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The good shepherd is also the Lamb who takes away what? Oh, no, 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 no. Dr. Ron taught me this one a long time ago. Personalize that. Personalize that. Who takes away my sin. Put your name in there. Takes away my sin. Who cares about the sins of the world if he hasn't taken your sin? If you haven't Bent your knee and bowed your heart to Christ, then your sins are not forgiven. God has taken away my sin. For unto you this day has Christ been born to you. 
doesn't matter if he's been born to the world if he hasn't been born to you. For unto you this day. And some by way of the internet have never been born again. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of God's visitation and the glory of God is not going to incinerate you. God has come in grace and God has come in mercy. And God has said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. That's the promise of Christ. That's what Jesus came to give us. Is that true for you? That unto you this day, Savior has been born. Final word on the shepherds. The shepherds return to their sheep, never to be heard from again. But also never to be forgotten. We've never forgotten the sheep, have we? Play after play after play. Christmas special. One year we're going to get to shepherds. You know that's coming. I want to play a shepherd so bad. I was always like a tree or something when I was a kid. And then, oh, you'd be a rock or something. What? What? I always wanted to be a shepherd. Or once I think I was like, I think I was like pig pen. I was the innkeeper and I had all the dust. Remember the dust? Why were they not forgotten? Because they left proclaiming the gospel. They told others about Jesus. That's what we're here to do. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave that son to you. And you believe. And you have eternal life and we tell everyone about it. That's the gospel. I pray that that son has been born to you. And then that means you have been reborn in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. The power of the gospel is to save souls. The power is to raise us from death to life. Yes, Father, we can look forward to things that will happen in our lives and things that will get better and, 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 and we'll, we'll get stronger in our resistance to sometimes that we're strongholds in our lives and, and perhaps addictions and challenges that we're faced with. But, Lord, let's keep it clear at the beginning. Every single person must be saved from their sin. And the only one who can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray today, this morning, and all those saints of God who are here right now with me, we pray that anybody who's in this sanctuary or anyone by way of the Internet, the World Wide Web, anyone who is listening right now, right this second, who has never had the Lord Jesus born unto them, May this be a day of salvation. And I say this to you who are listening. For unto you, right now this day, has been born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And know this, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have his word on it. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and continue to worship with us? Spirit of the living God, Spirit.